This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. And this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together thought leaders, scientists, healers, creatives, and seekers. I'm so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible wisdom with you. And I especially love listening to the conversations that are led by my brilliant co-host and friend, Erica Chitty. Erica is the CEO and co-founder of Loom, and she's been a part of the Goop family since the beginning days. We believe that simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. I'll let Erica fill you in on her guest today. Joe Dern is the founder and CEO of Goldman Sachs Personal Financial Management. He's also the author of several books, including The Money Code. Today, we're talking about the ways that our life and money connect. Joe talks about his early life of growing up in Zimbabwe and how he eventually reframed his thinking around happiness, success, and financial well-being. We discuss how to identify your money mind, which is a framework that Joe and his team developed to help people articulate what matters to them. And we talk about navigating setbacks, what to make of the current financial climate, and finding alignment in your choices and values. Okay, let's get right to my chat with Joe Duran. I'm excited to chat with you today. I think the best place for us to start is talking a little bit about what you learned about money growing up or what you were taught about money growing up. So, you know, growing up with money, I grew up in Zimbabwe to very, very poor parents, to a single mom with two sisters. And money was a very scarce thing. I had to work from 11 years old and frankly, never really stopped working all through high school with multiple jobs. If I wanted anything, I had to make the money. And what I did see early on was the conflict that money could create between my parents because they had completely different views about the purpose of money in their lives. And I think it really informed how I think about the role of money. You know, we often think that more money brings you more comfort, more peace of mind, more security. And in fact, it can add more friction because money ultimately is just fuel that gets you somewhere, it gives you choices and optionality. But the choices you make 
can create a lot of conflict, both internally for yourself, as well as with other people. Can you expand on that a little bit? What, is, what does that mean exactly? It means that every choice you make about money is typically filled with some level of anxiety and stress. And so, for example, if you're going to buy a house, you don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know if you can afford it. When you're going to have a child, you don't know if you can afford it. You don't know if it's going to work out. When you have to pay off your college loan, there's these very big financial decisions we make in the course of our lives. And most of us were not taught well or even talk to at all about how we think about making financial choices. I know I wasn't. And frankly, even though I went to some pretty good schools, they talked about the theory of money, but they never talked about the application of choices and how you use money. And I, I speak all over the, the world, frankly, on this subject. And you won't find many people who ever had a healthy relationship with money or had parents who sat down and said, okay, let's talk about how you make financial choices. And the fact is, here's what's interesting. Everybody has to make sacrifices when it makes to financial decisions. It's just inescapable because we all want more than we have. And that will always be true. By the way, it's true for billionaires. It's true for people with $1,000. It's true for everyone that the perfect amount of money for almost everyone, if you ask the question is, a little bit more than I got. And unfortunately, none of us have been taught about how to deal with scarcity and how to optimize your choices. So tapping in a bit to scarcity, which you talked about was very much the environment that you grew up inside of. How did your career grow out of that scarcity? Or was your career driven by that scarcity? Well, first, I had no choices, so I had to work. So I wish I could say I I did a job that I was passionate about, but I was very passionate about surviving. And I met my amazing wife, well, 33 years ago now. And that conversation, when I met her, I'm like, I got to provide for this woman because I want to be a good, a, good, a good catch for her. And then I had daughters and all the rest. So, so the fuel was I got to survive. Ultimately, the things that I got into by almost coincidence was solving this thinking about money. And I had a very weird circumstance, which I was very fortunate about. I was 34 years old and sold my first company to General Electric for a very large number. Frankly, I, I think most people would think I was secure. And I had a non-compete. So I interviewed 100 entrepreneurs who built and sold companies and to ask them how they felt. And these were people who'd made millions and millions of dollars building companies. And they all said the same. Initially, they said it was great. It was the American dream. But then I said, you know, I don't feel that way. And all of them said the same thing. You know what? I'm, I'm petrified. It was like a, a death in the family and I've lost identity. And I am not sure I have enough money, no matter how big the number was. And I thought, how crazy that these people who've accomplished what they thought would be enough still feel scarcity. And I thought when I built my next company, which was really about thinking about the way people make financial life choices, it completely changed my view about how you should interact. And it really forms around how do you make your choices and are they aligned with what you care about? Because when you give to something, you take away from something. Money only really does three things. It helps you to do the things that bring you joy. Money won't ever bring you happiness, but it helps you to do things that make you happy. It helps you to avoid pain. 
find security. And then lastly, it helps you to take care of the people and the causes you care about. That's all that money does. It's very simple. But we, the way we grow up influences how we bias our decisions in one of those three areas. And so like I grew up with scarcity, I use money to protect myself. Like I am first and foremost a protector. My wife, however, grew up very nicely in West LA. And so she uses money to take care of everyone around. So when there's a somebody having a baby, I know we're having that party and she's happy to have it. And I always think, hey, you're taking away from my security and that can create conflict. So when we're talking about going on vacation, she wants to take the longest, the most expensive one. And I'm like, no, let's be reasonable and let's save up. And that, that is an experience that almost everyone has with their significant others or even within themselves. Like, is it okay to spoil myself or not? Like to enjoy it versus protect, using it for the long term or for doing something good for the people I care about. And that trade-off is really delicate. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on The Goop List, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So thinking about this trade-off piece, let's talk a little bit about Money Mind. Yeah. Can you share how you came up with that framework and tell us a little bit about it? I worked with behavioral economists on this idea that, hey, how do we come up with a higher purpose for money? How do we help people identify why they work? And Erica, I'm sure you're no different than me or anyone else. You work because you have to. But, you know, just so you know, once you're making more than $72,000 a year, you've kind of taken care of your basic needs, probably not in New York City or LA, but in many places. And once that's done, more money isn't going to make you happier. In fact, the thing that makes you happier is when you're making choices that align with what you care about. We developed this process to say, okay, how do we help people articulate why they work and what matters to them? And what we noticed is that people had a very clear preference when if they had an extra thousand dollars, that they would choose to put it in one of the three buckets that you can use money for. That, but a person like me would first want to put it in a bank and save it. A person like my wife would want to take that thousand dollars and spoil someone she loves. And somebody else might choose to say, I want to take that thousand dollars and take a trip or go have a nice time with my friends that we have a preference to go into that area. But in order to be happy and successful, you need to fill all three buckets. And so we developed this process to say, how do we help people articulate that? And the system that we built, it's called the Money Mind. You go on, it asks no questions about money. It asks a simple question like, hey, when you drive a car off the car lot, you just got your new car, what do you think? And then the last question like, I think, oh my gosh, I can't wait to take my my friends and family in it. Or, Ooh, I love the new car smell. Or 
oh, did I get the best deal possible? That that lens helps to inform like how you think about money. And so it was very useful. And then when we deliver advice, when we talk with people to, to understand how they're pre-wired so that we give them permission to fill the other buckets of, the, of their lives as well. And most especially if you're in a relationship with someone that you can explain why you need to do this and the other person can in a non-attacking, non-judgmental way get to an agreement about, oh, these are the right places that we agree that we need to do all three. So share with me, what are the types of or the archetypes inside of Money Mind? Yeah. Like, how does someone self-identify as they're moving through this framework? Well, you can do the test online, obviously. It's free. So it's very simple. Seven questions. You can, I have a book, obviously, that you can do the test, but the te- it's, it's easy to identify. If when you wake up at three in the morning, you are concerned about, did I save enough? Did I do the right thing? A protector is somebody who uses money to make sure that they're okay. They tend to sacrifice in the moment to give themselves security in the future. The sad truth is, by the way, no matter how much you have saved, you'll never feel safe enough. So that's a separate issue. I'm not a psychologist, but you use money as a safety net. That's the, the protection money mind. The commitment money mind, people who use money to enjoy life. Those are the people who typically never make enough money, whose credit card is always maxed out, who always say, well, it's kind of expensive, but I'll deal with that tomorrow. They enjoy pleasure today. I call them twitch reaction buyers. They're like, oh, I love this. Yes, I'll take all the options. And they don't want to sacrifice. And so they enjoy, and the, the price they pay, by the way, price of first group pay is they don't enjoy life enough right now. They don't spoil themselves even when they can afford to. And they're very judgmental of those that do. So they're, 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 that's your friend or maybe you who goes, that person's being so wasteful, you know, or judgmental of their spouses. Like, don't waste money like that. Now, it doesn't mean they don't have fun, but they're always wanting, they're very disciplined and want to defer for the future. The opposite is the happiness money mind, the pleasure seeker who, who says, hey, Money is to be spent and they spend it freely. Really fun to go out with because they'll pay for everything and have a great time. But they also make a difficult partner because you'll say, we've got to save for the kids' college education. I want to save for our next time. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, it'll work out. <laughs> they usually make awful business owners, by the way, because they tend to be too optimistic and don't plan for bad outcomes. The first group are planned for outcomes that will be much worse than they'll ever experience. And the second group, are far too optimistic if you are too weighed to that area. Then the third group sacrifice themselves a lot. And by the way, you know, my wife is this person. Don't think about their own needs. They're constantly sacrificing for their kids or for their spouses and not voicing their own needs. And so it really matters that they are clear about, hey, I also have to take care of myself in this equation. Like it's, and there's a lot of people who are in the sandwich generation where they're taking care of their parents and their kids as well, and they don't take care of themselves, which isn't good for anyone. And so all three have strengths and attributes, and all three of them, if they're overcommitted to come at a price that you might not want to pay, then that's why balance, you know, I'm a yogi for 30 years now, finding balance, strength with flexibility is the right and optimal place. So you want to take care of all three areas of your way you think and, and process your choices about money. People can change their relationship to money. Of course. You know, I know there are people who think that we're all fixed the day we're born. I've never experienced that. Like I am shaped 
as we all are by every moment and every situation in our life. And the first thing you have to have is awareness. That's why we work so hard on developing an easy way to identify for yourself, hey, I have a natural predisposition. And not only do you do this quiz, you actually very quickly can identify how strongly that bias is. So it's on a scale of one to seven. I have a six point scale on fear and protection, which means my automatic bias is to sacrifice my happiness and the well-being of others to make sure that we're protected. That comes with a big price. And so what you want is to be balanced. And so it can be first and foremost by just being conscious. Oh, this is my need to protect speaking up. And my wife is right. We should have a vacation. Life is short. We're okay. And I've got to give myself permission to enjoy it. And yes, I've got to do good things on the planet for other people too, because they have needs as well. And so just having consciousness, we all want to do the right thing, Erica. Like we all, we all want to be happy. We all want to avoid pain. We all want to take care of the people we love. And the secret is to start by just knowing, am I doing the things that, I, that matter to me in their entirety? Or am I letting my feelings and my short-term lizard brain overcome the choices? And this is always true in a stress situation, you default to your, to your lizard brain, to the fight or flight part of your brain rather than your long-term part of your brain. The funny thing about money is that what's good for you almost never feels good at the time. It's kind of like eating healthy, like I love cheeseburgers, <laughs> but I know they're bad for me. I'm not a huge fan of broccoli, but it's good for me. Money and financial choices are kind of the same. What feels good might be bad for you in the long term. So you have to be very conscious. And if you think of it so that when you're making a big choice, it's not, in, it's not emotional and instinctive at the time. You step back and say, okay, I know my bias is this. Is that overwhelming my judgment in regards to the other two things that I've got to consider when I make a big financial choice? How do you make room for setbacks or financial mistakes? What's your, what's your framework for that? Well, first of all, they're always going to happen. And you have to decide, are they happening for you or to you? There's a great quote from Albert Einstein that says, the most important decision a person can make is whether they live in a kind or hostile universe. Life is going to send things your way that are not going to be that pleasant. And the choice you make to say, I have a lesson to be learned from this experience versus it keeps happening to me and falling on your knees and then making the same mistakes over and over again. I would start with that decision that you have a choice in this when you have a setback, whatever that is, to say, okay, I'm going to get through this because the, the universe will provide, but I've got to learn from this too. What mistakes did I make that I need to correct? accurately, not beating myself up too much, but being kind to myself and also saying, what am I meant to learn from this experience? Because you'll get through. Maybe you overspent on your credit card. Maybe you got fired and you didn't have a, a rainy day fund. As long as you learn, there will be a new event that will teach you a new lesson for sure, because the world does that to you. And we're here to learn and grow as humans. Few things will teach you as much as financial mistakes because they usually lead to de desperation in many ways. And so you are forced to bring out the best of yourself or the worst. That's a choice. And so for me, I find that setbacks, which we've all had, certainly I've built a couple of companies. There were times when my life passed before my eyes 
and realized, oh, you know, I wasn't disciplined enough in this and I'm going to have to figure this up, but then I need to never be in a position where that happens again. And so I think stepping back, being practical about what can I do, and then afterwards reflecting back and saying, what's the lesson here? Like, what did I do that led me to this place? Sometimes there's nothing you could have done. It just happened, right? But there's also, even when something didn't happen, did I do some things that led me to the situation that gave me fewer choices to deal with this circumstance? So thinking about circumstances, very curious about your advice on what to make of the current economy and the moment that we're in financially, especially thinking about the things that you should do that will be good for you long-term can feel really tough in the moment. You know, what's the best way to approach the time we're in and kind of harness the end of the year? If it's okay, I want to just talk a little bit more high level before we get to the granularity of this particular moment. So the first thing is we spend a lot of time obsessing over things we have absolutely no control over. And when it comes to money, while that can be great for cocktail conversation or conversation over coffee with your friend, the truth is that you have to focus on the things you actually have control of. And I'm going to bring that now into this current moment. We've had a huge surge in interest rates. We've had the dollar going up. We've had this inflation. Now, you and I both know we have no control over what all of that does. We've had a big election. We all voted. It turned out however it turned out. You might like it. You might not like it. But we didn't control that. There will be a set of policies that come as a consequence of it. We might like that. We might not. Maybe you had a student loan and you thought the president's loan forgiveness program was coming through and now it's been blocked. There are many things that we can have feelings about, but we have no control over. You have five things you actually can control in a financial context. So we're in this environment today. Inflation is still rampant. Interest rates are high. People in the tech industry are losing their jobs. Everyone's afraid we're heading into a recession. And so there's all these things to be concerned about. And by the way, the truth is, there's almost always reasons to be worried. I've, I've been doing this for a long time, and there's always reasons to be worried, both with external factors and personal situations. I've just graduated college, and I've got the student loan. I don't know if I'm going to make enough money. Or I just got married, and I don't know how in the world we're ever going to afford a home. There will always be both financial external factors and life circumstances that will have uncertainty. And everyone are listening to this right now for sure has something that they're like, I'm dealing with this financial thing, whatever that thing is. Here's the reality. You have five things you can control. So in all circumstances, you revert back to these five things. The first is you can control how much you save. So you have choices about, am I going to be disciplined about having a cushion so I have optionality? The less cushion you have, the less you save, the less breathing room you have, the less able you are to adapt when bad things happen. The second thing you can do is control your spending. Obviously, some of us like to spend a lot, some not. And finding the delicate balance so that you can choose optionality. And in our lives, you get to choose how much is a fixed spend versus a variable spend. Your rent is a fixed spend. So when you're going in or you buy a car, that's a fixed spend. Having coffee, that's a choice. Going out to dinner, that's a choice. Eating is not a choice, but the way you eat is. So you should think about your spending in a fixed versus variable way. 
And when you're going into a fixed spend, you need to be certain that you leave enough room in your budget that you don't that you have the flexibility to reduce the choices so you can get through the month by month things or if you have a bad surprise. And so what you find often when interest rates are really low, like we've just been in, a lot of people have taken on big mortgages or taken on big credit card bills that are fixed spends now that they now have less optionality. So you're going to be very disciplined about that. The third thing you have a choice in is the timing of major events. When do I buy my house? When do I have kids? When do I retire? When do I start my own business? Those big life decisions have very big impact on your choices. And I'll give you a good example of that in this environment. We obviously work with a lot of people. Some of them are retired and they've just seen their portfolio go down 20% because the, the bond market's gone down, the equity market's gone down, and they might be facing retirement in the next year. And they're like, oh my gosh, I've got 20% less money than I had. Can I still afford to retire? Or I want to move all my money to cash so I don't lose any more. So the way you spend, save, and make major timing decisions has a huge impact. And then the other two things, obviously, the type of risk you're willing to take in your investments has a huge impact, although you can't control the return or the growth you have. And lastly, how big a safety net you want to have. And they all interact. So if you choose to spend more money, you're going to have less to save and you'll have less of a safety net. So the way you make those choices. So anytime you have a financial circumstance that you don't like or that was a surprise or that you're uncomfortable about, go back to these five levers and just say, okay, I'm in the cockpit. Which of these five do I want to move? How do I feel about each? And that forces you to think in a long disciplined way, not, not in an emotional way. And what you want to try to do is turn off your lizard brain and think about your decisions in a more long-term disciplined way so that you don't regret them afterwards. This advice is so practical. I was taking little notes actually as you were sharing things and I feel it's so helpful. I think especially at this time that we're in, in terms of the financial climate, to really think about things in a much less reactive way and yes. really focusing in on the things that we can control and really thinking about those variable versus fixed costs. I feel like our society doesn't like thinking about money, doesn't like talking about it, and yet it controls our lives in so many ways. And, of course. And, so yeah, and, and honestly, that's so seldom. Honestly, if people started by just asking themselves the most important question, which is, why do I work? And I don't mean by to have money so I can do what I want. Why do you really work to spend time with the people I care about? Mm -hmm. Those same exact people, by the way, are working overtime and not taking their vacations. Think about the irony that they're working all day to spend time with people they care about. And they're not with their significant other. They're not with their children. They're not with their friends because they're working so hard so that they can do that. So sometimes having a clear view about why you work, writing it down, what really matters to me, can help frame everything because often it's not even about the money. It's that you're not aligning with your priorities in a way that makes you feel proud. And by the way, I think we do need to talk about one thing that we haven't covered it's really, really important. And I think the most important thing that I've learned in my voyage of working with many, many people around their finances, and that is the regrets you're going to have when you look back. Those dilemmas that we haven't articulated, why do I work? So I would say one thing above all else, 
I hopefully you've gotten good practical advice, but take the time to ask yourself, why do I really work? And not the first superficial answer, but get down and answer this question. What is it that matters to me more than anything? Why do I wake up and why do I do what I do? Why? Because we all make massive sacrifices. And if we don't know why, it's very hard to get frustrated. It's also very hard to make the right decisions if you don't know why. So the most important thing that I've learned in this voyage is try to align the ideal version of yourself with the choices that you make, because you will have regret if you make choices that sacrifice the vision you have for who you are for money. I promise you. And that if you have less money but are true and authentic to the things that matter to you, you will be much more fulfilled. And fulfillment is much more important than happiness. Happiness is a feeling we get for a moment. Fulfillment is a, is a feeling you have your whole life. And you get that by aligning your choices with the things that really, really matter to you in your soul. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Joe Duran. You can learn more about his work at goldmanpfm.com. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast.